Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1R the girls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1R the girls for 15% off today. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to For the Girls. So before we dive into the interview, as we announced on Instagram, we are so excited to be bringing you two recurring mini-sode series each month on topics we feel deserve much more of a spotlight, sustainability, and women in motorsports, things that we talk about from time to time throughout our episodes, but we there's so much more to dive into. So For the sustainability series, we plan to take you along with us as we explore how F1 is racing towards carbon net zero, the new 2026 regulations, uh, sustainable drop in fuel, deep dives on Formula E, how individual teams are making progress towards these goals. Think all of that and more. Super exciting. exciting. It's going to be amazing. For the women in motorsport angle, we'll be diving into all things F1 Academy, of course, you know, driver deep dives, all the race recaps, everything that's been going on with them. And then we'll also talk a little bit about history of women in motorsports, how they got to where they are today, where they're going. We'll also be covering all of the badass women that work in F1 across all levels and all the different worlds of F1. So today we're so excited to kick things off by talking to two experts in both of these spaces, both at McLaren Racing. We have Kim Wilson, Sustainability Director, and Kate O'Hara Hatchley, Head of Diversity, Early Careers, and Development. So exciting. I think you guys are going to love the conversation. But before we get into that with Kim and Kate, we wanted to just briefly dive into sustainability just to set the stage. We'll do the same for, you know, F1 Academy, Women in Motorsports probably next week. But for sustainability, just wanted to touch on what the current state of play is, what's being done to make F1 a greener sport and why that matters both in F1, but also outside the sport. This is something personally I'm hugely passionate about and I nerd nerd out about a lot. So I'm really excited (laughs) about this. Um, So, yeah, well, like I said, we'll be covering a lot of different things on this. But first, why is this so important? Obviously, we have a warming planet and F1 is a big emitter of carbon and carbon equivalents. And I think F1 and much of the world knows that that needs to change. So just to put some numbers around it, in 2019, F1 emitted over 250,000 tons of carbon equivalents. And for comparison, this is estimated, but the MBA is around like 30,000 per year. So it's a huge difference. And almost half, 45%, came from logistics. So moving all the equipment from race to race, that sort of thing. About 30% came from business travel, about 20% from facilities and factories, 7% event operations, and less than 1% power unit emissions. That's crazy. So, yeah, wild. A lot coming from logistics and travel, as we know. But it's funny because if less than 1% of emissions come from actual race cars, then it begs the question of why we hear so much about sustainable fuel, hybrid engines, carbon neutral race cars. Like that's not a huge chunk of the pie. 
But something that I think is really important to think about and understand is that what's unique to F1 is that its technology has the ability to sort of set the precedent for the automotive industry as a whole. And even outside of the automotive industry, as you'll hear um, our wonderful woman from McLaren talking about. So those kind of cutting edge technologies have the ability not only to make the sport itself more sustainable, but also often influence the technology and vehicles to help decarbonize the automotive industry as a whole. So it's kind of like an R&D lab for the real world, which is exciting. And as we know, transportation is the end use sector that emits the most greenhouse gases in the U.S. and globally. So it's a huge footprint. And to put that opportunity in perspective, it's estimated that we're going to be approaching close to 2 billion cars on the road in the next decade, and less than 10% of those are going to be electric. So if F1 can pioneer technology that's usable by road cars and the broader transportation sector, that's a massive benefit to our world and our environment. So big, I will, big ops. I will say as an aside, I think Ferrari, like not Ferrari F1 racing, but Ferrari, Ferrari does have a really um, lofty goal of being all electric at some point. So in 2019, that's when F1 launched their sustainability strategy and set that net zero target for 2030, which we are only seven years away from. So how are they planning to get there? So they've set little goals along the way. So for 2025, they want to have a, quote, positive race print, which means using sustainable materials, recycling, reusing waste, and then providing tools and incentives for fans to get to races in a greener way. So public transportation, biking, walking, electric vehicles, et cetera, and hopefully try to offset the emissions created by fans for their travel. And then, of course, partnering with local organizations on race weekends and just throughout the season on this as well. This leads them to the 2030 goal of carbon net zero. So that means net zero carbon race cars, low carbon logistics and travel, 100% renewably powered F1 and team facilities and factories. And then big thing here has to be the offsets and carbon sequestration programs, which I'm sure everyone will talk about in our interview. Um, mm -hmm. But this is, a, this is a really big goal. It's very ambitious. For context, the UN Sport for Climate Action goal is net zero by 2040, with 2030 being emissions reduction by half. So it does. Between now and 20, that's only seven years. There's definitely a lot to do between now and then. It's like yes. my mind is exploding. <laughs> just thinking of it. But I love that Formula One is hopefully going to be a leader in, you know, taking the charge on this and helping inspire other sports and other industries to do the same. So just for some progress in 2022 to highlight. So for the first time, F1 cars are using what's called E10 fuel, which is 10% ethanol, which is a more sustainable compound. They're also planning future calendar regionalizations. So currently we have, you know, low 20 number of races with a lot of back and forth, meaning we've got a long way to go, but it definitely doesn't happen overnight. So it's good that they're thinking about this now. And hopefully I think to me, years. that's got to be the biggest one. We talk about this all the time, but that video that it's you insane. see the plane going around the world, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it'll crazy. also be better for like the mental health and travel of everyone involved as well. Yeah. They also, so F1 hired Ellen Jones as a head of sustainability at F1, which is great. They have been redesigning their freight containers to allow for more fuel efficient aircraft. And they have implemented remote broadcasting to reduce traveling freight. So there is a lot of stuff being done. And one thing that I think is actually super cool is that this season, F2 and F3 are pioneering sustainable fuels with their cars running 55% sustainable fuel. So that's super exciting. It's a little bit easier in those series because the cars are the same make and the same model, but it's great that those series are kind of testing that out as we approach 2026 regulations. Yeah, and I think all of this is definitely paving the way for those regulations, and those regulations are really key to implementing a sustainability agenda for the teams, for F1, and making sure it's a priority for the sport going forward. But the 2026 regulations, they include 100% sustainable fuel, the hybrid power unit, brand new battery technologies, and then changing, I mean, the big thing here is that changing these regulations has enticed the likes of Audi and Ford to throw their hats in the ring as well and think about becoming constructors, joining the sport, getting involved. So that's also really exciting too, and maybe we'll help switch a bunch of things up. 
yeah, I'm super excited for Audi's entry in particular. Mm-hmm. Sustainability is obviously a big thing for them. And so I'm just glad that the sport is responding to sustainability and allowing or helping teams like Audi hopefully, you know, push the needle on that some more. So just a quick note on measuring sustainability and impact. There are some global standards, some FIA standards just to be aware of that some are referenced in the interview following and some you probably are aware of or see kind of on the web related to climate and sustainability. But for F1, the FIA has an environmental accreditation program. You may have seen in the news, I think this week, that AlphaTauri was just awarded three stars, which is the highest level of sustainability recognized by the FIA at this point. So they're joining the likes of Mercedes, McLaren, Aston Martin, I believe Alpine and Haas. So most, but not all of the teams are at that level. This feels like table stakes. (laughs) Where's Red Bull? Great question. Some other kind of more global standards, so the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, those are kind of the industry and world standard for measuring and aligning on progress. You'll hear Kim kind of talk about those 17, I think there are, um, goals, some social, some environmental, but a lot of companies, institutions, industries look to the UN for measuring and aligning on progress. There's UN Sports for Climate Action, which is similar but more targeted at sports industries. And then some teams, as you'll see in certain sustainability reports, also uh, measure against the science-based target initiative or the SBTIs. So we won't do a huge deep dive into those now, but just some some goals and uh, standards to be aware of. So I think the key message here is F1 has some of the brightest minds in engineering, in business, in sport. It really has the ability to be a leader, and it's important for teams, as we'll talk about in the interview, and partners to agree that sustainability doesn't really have to come at the cost of success. I think it's often seen as an extra add-on or a task, but it's the kind of thing where a rising tide hopefully lifts all boats, and I hope the 2026 regulations help everyone start to feel that way and point the arrows in the same direction. Um, So yeah, just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a summary and a kickoff on this topic. There will be much more to come. Um, But yeah, if there's anything in, you know, in and around sustainability that's interesting to you, please let us know, DM us, put it in Discord. We'll add a new sustainability channel in our Discord so we can chat all those things. Um, But yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And we'll head on over to our interview. Perfect. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to For the Girls. Today, we are so excited to have two incredibly special guests to talk all things sustainability and diversity in F1 with us. I think you all know these topics are very important to us. We love kind of throwing them in and sprinkling them in throughout all of our episodes. But today, we'll be talking to Kim Wilson, Sustainability Director at McLaren Racing, and Kate O'Hara Hatchley, Head of Diversity, Early Careers, and Development at McLaren Racing. So this week, McLaren published their second annual sustainability report and are launching an exciting new initiative for women in motorsports. So we cannot wait to chat and learn more with both Kim and Kate. So without further ado, let's just jump on in. Kim, Kate, welcome. We're so excited to chat with you both today. We're honored to have you. First off, just to get us started, I'd love to hear from both of you a bit about your respective roles as sustainability director, head of diversity, early careers, development at McLaren. What do they entail? How did these roles come to be? Just give us a little bit of a background on that. So really, really happy to be here. So thank you for inviting us. Um, Shall I kick off? Yeah, go for it. So, um, so yeah, I've been in role at McLaren Racing now for just over 18 months as the first ever director of sustainability in a motorsports team, actually, um, not just Formula One. So I'm super privileged. And that role came about because, um, you know, sustainability is such an important issue um, for for the world, but as a, as a team, as a sport, we really saw that we have a real responsibility as well as an opportunity to um, to use our platform and, and drive that change for good. 
So um, what do I do in terms of that? Um, my, my job's been to understand what are, are our social, environmental and economic impacts? Who does it affect, um, both current and future? And then think about, okay, what are the programs that we need to do to minimize our negative impacts and use our platform in the most positive way to have a positive impact to create a better world, essentially? So not much, no. <laughs> Just <laughs> lazy <good> stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, so I've probably been enrolled a similar amount of time, actually. So around 18 months. Um, we started our diversity journey a, a couple of years ago, really. But um, the, the team understood the need for somebody to come in to really focus in on that. And so joined to develop our McLaren Racing Engage Alliance, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later. Um, but actually, the... The more we delivered, the more we had conversations with our partners, the more that we saw success with those programs. It's really kind of, um, I guess, shone a light on how much more we want to do. And so um, my team's grown, Kim's team has grown um, in, in recent months as well. And so my role has, I guess, four different elements to it. So the first is diversity, equity and inclusion. So how do we inspire, support, recruit, retain um, and showcase um, all talent but in particular diverse talent within um, McLaren Racing but alongside that how do we um, push our sport to be ever more progressive and diverse in this space and to really try and um, role model some of the change that we we want to see. Um, alongside that I look after our early careers program so that fits really nicely obviously with the space, work we do in that space so how do we recruit interns, work experience, grads, PhDs, apprentices, um, and develop them up and through? It's an incredibly important talent pipeline for us, um, bringing in the next generation of talent. Um, I then look after people development, so manager and leader development. How do we support our team to progress in their career and to continue to grow? As I'm sure you can imagine, you know, we are all really driven individuals in the team, so you know that stands for people's careers as well so how do we support the team with the tools um, and the knowledge to do that and then finally well-being so from a mental and physical well-being perspective high performance sports team it's a performance differentiator for us how do we ensure that the team have access to um, support education um, and just general awareness around their own well-being and, and meaning that they can perform at their peak as well so Four different kind of avenues that I look after, but I think link really nicely together and, and also alongside Kim as well. All of it's interwoven. So, yeah, that's our, our roles. Definitely. Big hats for both of you. And you've kind of led me to my next question, which was, what is, what is it like working together? Obviously, sustainability and diversity are intricately linked in many ways. But how does that look like at McLaren for the two of you? I think we get on, don't we, Kim? <laughs> <laughs> we never fall out. Um, so we absolutely... Um, you know, we, we have very clear separate remits. So when we're delivering the programs within our areas, we, we are in our own lanes, but where we do come together, I think we, it's all about collaboration. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, our strategies are, are woven together ultimately. So we need to work hand in hand to think about where do we want to go as a team in the future in our strategy, um, but also work really closely and, and sense check with each other around, you know, things that we're going after, things that are coming up as well. So um, a really good sounding board, I think, for each other, but great that the team also recognises that we need to put some investment behind each of those streams and, and some focused kind of resource. So to your point about big hats, it would be, it's a, it's a big space. So, but yeah, we work really closely together. Yeah, that's wonderful. Nice, yeah, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say there's a really nice piece here as well, I think, where, you know, um, we really need to put the most diverse minds to solve some of the challenges that we're, we're facing. And so I think that's where yeah. Kate can bring in some really great talent um, from really diverse, different backgrounds, not what you would normally think of traditional people working in motorsport to, to widen our lens. And, and then, you know, we, we have examples of projects where we've we've then put a sustainability problem to to a group of people and said what do you what do you can come up with and um that can come up with some answers that you wouldn't have thought of if you'd just gone down mm. the route of asking the, the, mm -hmm. the people who traditionally work in our sport yeah that rings so true and i love that McLaren and both of you, I feel like some sometimes in certain institutions or, or organizations, they tend to lump all these things together, like diversity, sustainability, ESG, all one thing. I love that 
you know, it's acknowledged that there are links, but each has, you know, its own dedicated path and needs its own resources and minds, you know, to, to put resources behind both of those things. So before we dive into the sustainability report, the new initiative around women in motorsport, I would love to just take a step back and understand from both of you kind of what do you what do you think of when you think of sustainability? What does that term mean to you, both in your roles and at McLaren? Because I know people tend to just think of climate change, but it obviously extends beyond just that. Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of um, individuals would think of sustainability as just environmental, but in our world, we, we think about it from both an environmental and a social standpoint. Um, yeah. And within social, that's from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, but also from a health and well-being perspective as well. So when you think about sustainability, it's people's sustainability as well, right? So how do we ensure our team are, are, are working in a sustainable way and performing at their peak? And how are we making sure that we're safeguarding the future of our team by finding that great talent to come in and, and really drive us into the future? So I think from my perspective, that's what kind of sustainability means in, in my world. So we, you know, we, we would probably more traditionally follow the, the United Nations version of um, yeah. its view of sustainability. There's a reason why there's 17 sustainability, sustainable development goals, because <laughs> um, I think it's about half of them are social, mm-hmm. half environmental. There's the economic ones as well that are all interlinked. And it just goes to show that this is a really big challenge to try and create that better world for everyone in the future. So um, that's how we are looking and framing um, sustainability within the current racing. And when it comes to the sustainability report, tell us a little bit about, you know, the first report that you published last year, the inaugural report, and then what it's like to continue doing that on an annual basis. What drove you and the team to kind of memorialize and disclose all of that in in those four pillars and have it set up like that? Yeah, so... um... So the sustainability report was my first big challenge when I when I joined the team, um, and um, we we were really driven to to follow the the best practice model for being open and transparent and accountable for where we are in our sustainability journey, what our impacts are, where we want to get to, and how we're progressing. In the same way that you see a lot of corporates do already, and we've got to remember we've got a lot of big businesses who are our sponsors, our partners. Partners, and they are expecting us to um, perform at the levels that they're performing in this space. So it was a really, the thought around it was to, was to follow that approach. And that's been a first in motorsport and Formula One. So, you know, we've, our report, I hope, has set the standard for what good sustainability reporting looks like in that space. I think the other reason for publishing on an annual basis it's it helps us track and keep a record it's such a big topic of where we are what we're doing and and i hope it demonstrates authenticity we're taking this seriously um it, we are making we are determined to be open and share our successes and our challenges and it's a bit of a call to action as well um, in terms of how can we encourage others to come and work with us more than 90%, you know, if I talk environmentally, more than 90% of our impact is actually outside of our direct control. The only mm-hmm. way we're going to move forward meaningfully in sustainability is through collaboration with others. And so it's, it's our way of saying, these are the challenges. If you're inspired, um, come, and, you know, come and work with us because then we can, we can make a difference together. I think the other thing I'd add to that is it, it keeps us honest, right? Um, yeah. And we're gonna we have big ambitions and we don't have all the answers mm-hmm. now, and it's it's a long term piece of work. But we we want to be really open and honest with you know our people, our fans, our partners around the journey that we're on, and doing it annually is important because that point around long term. It's going to take years in the making to feel the effects of some of these things. And when you think about early careers programs, for example, you know, where's that talent going to be in five, 10 years? We need to keep coming back to and, and, and keeping track of the impact of what we're putting in place. So I think it, it really kind of opens us up. We want to be, we're really open as a team. Um, generally, we like to kind of really share where we're at and what we're doing. And I think that the report is a great platform for us to do that in our space, particularly. 
Yeah, I think there's so much that is competitive and secret in Formula One. It would be great not to have to compete or be secretive about sustainability and things (laughs) that will better everybody. So I love that you guys are doing that and being transparent about it and sort of, you know, charging forward and hopefully creating change for, for everyone. So we've gotten a couple highlights of this year's sustainability report, which I know is not quite out yet, but you know, over 20% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions against the 2019 baseline, almost a 20% waste reduction from 2021, a third of new starters coming from under- underrepresented backgrounds. So first, congrats on that. That's incredible <laughs> progress and so excited to see that. Would love to hear just what are some of the drivers behind that success and have there been particular challenges to reach those really impressive numbers? So if I start on the environmental side, Kate, um, you know, first of all, what I'd say is this has been a real team effort. It's not just Kate and my teams working on this. Everybody is playing their part and we wouldn't have achieved those significant reductions without that happening. So it's been a combination of, um, I think, We've learned a lot from COVID um, and, and I think that there have been some, some positives as well. So as a result of COVID, we did things like having to work remotely that we've taken forward and continue what we're doing. And that applies to the race team as well as um, to, to people traveling um, to the race. So being able to work remotely has reduced our travel. We've, um, with the cost cap coming in, we've um, had to be a bit more careful about where we spend our money. So we haven't bought maybe so much stock, so many materials. We've been a bit more careful about that. That's helped reduce our waste as well as um, our, our emissions, which has been really great. And then we've also looked at things like um, how do we move things around our equipment around the world by sea instead of air because that's much lower impact in terms of carbon. Um, so, so we've had a nine percent benefit there. Um, and then we've looked at how we get our house in order. So we've looked at things like um, changing all our lighting in our in our building to LEDs. And whilst that might not sound like a major thing, because our building's so big and so energy hungry. Um, over a year, that's saved about the equivalent electricity that would be used by 100 average UK homes. So that's a really big number. Mm. Um, And then we've done things like um, on the wayside, again, maybe not the biggest impact, but visible and tangible to every single member of the team. We kind of went back to disposables because of hygiene during COVID. And we've Mm. now We've removed single-use coffee cups and that's saving about 400 cups a week. So just to give you a sense of the weight of that in weight, it's, yeah. it's four Formula One helmets a week of weight. <laughs> I love that comparison. <laughs> um, and, um, and, you know, things like sauce sachets and all those single disposable things that we really don't need to be using. Mm-hmm. And that's a cultural message that's really important. Yeah. Um, and in terms of challenges there, the one thing I will say, and it might be a nice way to hand over mm. to Kate, is um, sometimes we do find that our um, our goals around decarbonisation might potentially have a slight conflict with, with well-being, for example. Mm. And that, a good example of that is, is team travel. So when we're trying to get teams to do something different, we trialed going to the Belgian Grand Prix, Prix by train instead of plane this year. And that <laughs> saved us money, that saved us carbon. You know, it's 61% lower, it was, it was worth doing, but it made the journey longer for some team mm. members. And, and then that meant they're away from home longer, they travel so much already. So then the wellbeing side was, was a bit of a question mark. So that's where, mm. you know, we need to think about some of those challenges. Yeah, and I think on my side, there are probably four things that I think have been really um, key to, to the impact. Um, the one thing I'd say is data. You can't mm. progress what you can't measure. Um, and that's been a real focus for us in terms of the systems that we have, the comms that we you know we give to the team, and what we then do with that data really to focus in on, well, where are the challenges? Because we can have some assumptions on that, but actually what does the data tell us and, and using that to really drive um, where we need to, to focus our attention. I think 
The second thing I'd say is um, just making it meaningful. Um, I am a, I'm a strong believer that it would be, it's really easy to go out and say, hey, come and work for McLaren Racing. It's, a, it's quite an easy sell, I, I think, and I, I think many people would probably agree. But actually, what are we doing to remove the blockers to support that talent making that next step and actually giving people the opportunity? And so when we talk about our programs, that's actually what we base a lot of our activity around, as opposed to lots of scratching the surface, flash in the pan activities that raise awareness, but more what do we do to ultimately get that talent through the door, um, I think would be the, the second thing. And the third thing would be, and we've alluded to it already, but the team, um, because I couldn't do half of what I do without the incredible network of people across McLaren Racing who support us day in, day out. So whether that's going to STEM days, whether that's mentoring, whether that's you know hosting an internal work experience, they're ultimately the, the real kind of role models for a lot of this talent out there um, coming up and through. So. That would be the third thing. And the fourth thing I'd say would be actually the work we can do with our partners because we can do some great stuff on our own, but actually we can do so much more if we work with our, our partner networks and some of the incredible brands we have out there. So I think those would be the four things that are the, the real levers for the, some of the success we've seen. I think the challenge is, again, we've talked about it, but it's complex. Our worlds are really complex. They're really long-term. And actually, where do you focus because, you know, Kim and I have lots of conversations all the time that, that there's so much we want to do, but how do we really focus our efforts to coming back to that meaningful point actually make some real impact? So I think for me, that's definitely one of the key challenges. I think there's one more I'd just add, actually, and that is we've now come to a point where we have really understood and analysed our data, um, you know, in the same way that we focus on data and, and, and where to drive our efforts um, on track, it applies as much to sustainability. Yeah. Um, and it's identified that there's some areas of real opportunity for innovation and investment. Um, but we've now come up against a challenge where, um, you know, we need to invest money and we need to invest resources into doing that. And we are in a cost cap situation where the unintended consequence, because we just didn't think it just wasn't on the table as a topic when the last regulations were developed that, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're now in a situation where we, we might be having to choose between investing in sustainability or investing in car track, one track performance. Mm -hmm. And so we're now very focused on how do we work collaboratively with Formula One, with the FIA, with the other teams. And there is definitely will for that to happen to make sure that we can find a way to unlock that without creating other unintended consequences as well. So that's another big challenge we've come against. I love your point about the cost cap. I mean, we talk about it in countless episodes, but there's things that you don't think about, which is what you just said. And I think when the work that you guys are both doing can get that mindset top of mind for everyone, then maybe decisions could be made in a little bit more of like a holistic, sustainable way. So that's great to hear. Yeah. And hopefully the 2026 regulations will help get more and more people, teams, F1, FIA thinking in that way and not feeling like you have to choose between sustainability and success to a certain degree. They sort of, exactly. rising tide lifts all boats. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly one of our really key focuses going forward. Um, you know, we've got a very short time window to be able to influence those regulations, shorter than I ever thought. You know, mm. when you hear 2026, you think you've got a few years, we're only in 2023. But actually, we've got to start those conversations now because they get locked in in yeah. a year's time. So um, lots of work to do in that space, but a really exciting opportunity to, to really get stuff in, to move the dial, not just in the financial, but the technical and the sporting regulations too. Mm -hmm. So moving into a little bit more of a DE&I perspective or mindset, Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about Racing Engage? And actually, before you do, I'll give a quick sizzle reel because I think it's great. So this is McLaren's flagship DE&I program. It launched in 2021. And I think it was just last year, your STEM ambassadors, which I'm sure you'll talk about, reached over 4,000 students across 36 events and awarded over 60 scholarships. So tell us more about the program. What are you most excited for as it grows? We'd love to hear more. Yeah, absolutely. So um, McLaren Racing Engage um, began back in 2021 as really our flagship program to 
um, support you know our diversity efforts across McLaren Racing, but across motorsport more broadly. Um, and we have four different Engage um, alliance partners that we work with that are social enterprise organisations that are real experts. Whether that's in you know supporting STEM education in schools or, or women in, in engineering roles, um, who come together because we kind of acknowledge we didn't have all the answers at that time. Um, and as you probably can gather, we we, we seek collaboration as well. So. Um, we work with them to put in place a range of different programs that support talent from, you know, the age of around 14 up through to kind of experienced hires. Um, and there are, I guess, three three phases to the work we do with McLaren Racing Engage. So the first is inspiration. So what are we doing to kind of go and share the message of, you know, motorsport as a career option and getting in front of audiences that would never perhaps have considered it? So that's through our STEM days. So, yeah, you reference there, um, accessing or supporting 4,000 students to understand what a career in motorsport can give them. So we go to schools in the local area, um, to the MTC here, schools that um, meet certain um, DEI criteria for us. So high levels of free school meals, for example, or schools that are potentially in special measures where... Um, you don't have many organisations turning up to talk to them about careers, let alone an F1 team, um, and really showcasing what a career in motorsport can be through the medium of getting them to very simply design and race an F1 car and having a leaf blower that tests the air around it, but trying to bring to life like what that really means to that audience using some amazing role models from across the team. So we do that from an inspiration perspective, but then the next point is, okay, how do we more proactively support that talent as they kind of hopefully move into our world? So that's where we introduce things like scholarships, bursaries and mentoring. So how do we remove very real financial blockers for a lot of talent, right? So, you know, how can we support talent to get a driving license so they can go and pursue that internship they need to purchase that laptop that they need or the tech on it? So it's just giving people cold hard cash sometimes to support them on that journey um but as well as that with the mentoring program put in place those longer term relationships over six 12 months that really helps guide them utilizing amazing individuals from across the team and then the third and final part of that pipeline is opportunity so giving people that first gig so whether that's you know our work experience students that come through our art quite scholarship program who get a week of work experience working with the f1 um, technical team and rotating across aero and vehicle design and vehicle performance to internships that we have done with creative access so giving them three months summer internships working across our, our creative teams um, but not explicitly linked to McLaren Racing Engage, but I think also important as, as a different talent pool is also um, our returnship programme that we've done in partnership with Entain, one of our partners, which actually supports female talent coming back into tech roles that's after great. a period out. So whether that's childcare, caring, reskilling or underemployment, actually, if they've returned to work and feel underemployed in that role. Um, and that, that kind of that's the end of the pipeline and speaks to that meaningful bit for, for, for us, really, of giving people that opportunity that ultimately you know, means that they stay with us. They, they work with them more to support more broadly or they kind of remain in the STEM industries. So. That's McLaren Racing Engage and the philosophy that we have around it. Um, and it's really excitingly has um, progressed this year because we've expanded to the US. So the Path Yay. to the Pits program and the Path to the Pits has, has come on board, supported by the awesome um, IndyCar team, um, to open up opportunities within motorsport for, for talent across the US as well. So great to see that broadening its, its scope from a geography perspective. Yeah, we okay. love to hear that as Americans and yeah. the the desire to work in motorsport I feel like is exploding here. I know it's been it's been like that for a long time in a lot of places, but especially in America now, people I think are super excited to sort of get in the door. And I love what you said about pipeline is the beginning, you know, first hires, internships, but it's also keeping people in the pipeline all the way through, reskilling, helping, you know, women who were just mothers come back into the workforce, things like that. I feel like that can often get lost in the conversation. So I think that's, that's really inspiring. Um, so I guess that leads us a little bit into the launch of the new initiative. So McLaren's 60 Scholars Program, which I think the goal is to sort of cultivate the next generation of female leaders in STEM. Chessa and I are both kind of in the realm of STEM and technology. So we'd just love to hear a little bit more about the launch of that program and the goals yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously being our 60th birthday this year, we've done a lot of looking back and celebrating our legacy and our history and our here and now. But one of the things we also wanted to think about was what is our future as a team and actually what legacy can we create this year? And 
Um, for us, one of our, our key focuses for 2023 in particular is how do we support women in motorsport? And so those two things coming together felt like a ripe ground to kind of create a, a programme. So 60 Scholars aims to support 60 young women um, here in the UK, aged between um, 18 to 23, who want to be a future leader in STEM. And STEM being that kind of broad science, technology, engineering, maths, and not just, you know, engineering in a sense of um, that we understand it here, but thinking about all STEM industries. And actually, what's really exciting about it is that we've got three of our partners um, who have nice. come on board as founding partners to support that. So Google, Cisco, and Cadence. So some wow. amazing Small brands. names. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of them. <laughs> yeah, to come on board, who are equally passionate about this topic, right, and supporting female talent um, into STEM careers. So the program will run over the summer um, and kind of takes the form of a series of different events and activations. So hearing from senior leaders across all of the organizations, getting some technical masterclasses, you know, on particular tech within or products within our our teams and our organizations, hearing from, you know, STEM ambassadors and role models who are early in career, and then kind of finishing with a really immersive event here at the MTC in Woking that kind of gets them really hands-on with, well, what does this look like in real life? So whether that's a simulator here, a pit stop challenge, or seeing our, our esports studio. And ultimately, the aim for us is that we fast track the careers of, of that cohort of young women by giving them unique knowledge, insight, confidence and some clarity around where they want to go to in the future using the powerhouse of you know, the McLaren racing brand and team, but also those incredible partners that we've got on board as well. Amazing, amazing. Um, we have a bit of a general question for both of you, and then we'll finish up talking some more about sustainability things. I think Tiggy probably wants to get in the nitty gritty, <laughs> just knowing you. <laughs> um, Not too detailed, don't worry. <laughs> so we talked a little bit, well, from our perspective, of course, the rise of Formula One in the United States is large across all age groups. But I think what we're seeing in F1 right now is women getting more involved and then younger generations getting more involved. So as, and you know, and as consumers, these younger, younger people definitely, when they're making the choice of which team to follow, which, which things to buy, all these sort of choices that they're making every day, they definitely want to see both of these causes front and center. So with the rise of younger fandom, has that helped push the needle for you? Does that motivate you? Like, how are you thinking about them? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it was, it's always been a, a priority, um, but I think actually it just puts renewed focus and pressure on the, on the whole sport, really, to raise the bar a little bit, which we will always welcome. Um, it's never a destination, the work we do, it's always a journey. So um, I think by having that audience so invested in both the sustainability and the racing angle, it really kind of means that the sport as a whole needs to kind of um, raise that bar. But I guess for me as well, in the world that I work in, it's great that so many young people are interested and passionate about motorsport because, you know, many people work in this world as a result of being a fan um, and, and loving the sport growing up as well. So for me, it means that there's a, an even broader pool of talent that we can hopefully entice in, into the team and the organisation. So it definitely has an impact. I think it's more of a it was something we're, we're focusing on and we're conscious of, but it's great that that conversation is so prevalent because it means that we can get out there and I guess spread the word and, and the message around what we want to achieve and to raise the bar even further. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we, um, we strongly believe that um, sport has the real power um, to drive change and positive change in society. People follow their sports teams really passionately and we have that platform. So we have a responsibility, actually, as well as an opportunity to make sure that we are using that platform to talk to the issues that our fans care about and to take a lead on those topics. And, and we're seeing, obviously, that the impacts that can have. So, you know, we, we are looking at programmes on how we can how we can best talk to our fans about um, about these subjects, how we can push in things in place in their experiences to make sure that they can see that we're authentic and serious about this. But there are things we can do to maybe inspire, um, educate and raise awareness and maybe even drive a little bit of behaviour change. And if we can do that, then our reach is so huge that we can, the cumulative impact of that will be really um, something that we'll be proud of. Yeah, I love that. I think so maybe just one or two more questions around sustainability and we can wrap up. Um, but I guess we'll start with 
it's not necessarily a negative question before we turn to positive, but something a little bit more critical. You know, what do you see sort of, I think F1 definitely has a top-down goal of net carbon, carbon net zero by 2030. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know teams have various goals as well on, on that timeline or on different timelines. What do you see as some of the biggest impediments to reaching that over the next 5, 10, 15 years, depending on timeline? Um, so I think the biggest opportunity to really move the dial that we have is the 2026 regulations. Mm-hmm. If we can really get sustainability incentives in there to invest in how we can reduce our impacts collectively across the sport, create a level playing field for us to do that, we can really move the dial. And we don't have time to wonder about it. You know, we, if it doesn't get into the 2026 regulations, then 2030 is too late because then we're, you know, yeah. we're reliant on setting and other things. So for me, that's the number one. I think the other thing to just be really mindful of is we're so reliant on other industries to achieve our net zero targets. You know, we fly around the world, so we're reliant on aviation. We, we're, you know, manufacturers are used, who are very energy intensive to produce the metals and the things that we, you know, the carbon fiber we use in, in our, to make our cars. You know, we need energy to decarbonize. We need the processes to decarbonize. We need shipping to, to play its part. Um, you know, we, we use trucks on, on the road to, to travel um, on our European leg of the races and in our logistics. So again, you know, the decarbonization of heavy transport is really important. So it doesn't mean we're not going to, we're just going to sit back and go, they've got to play their part and we've got to play ours. Yeah. We've got to use our influence and raise our voice and look at our partnerships on how we can help move the dial in that space. So I think that's the second thing. The third thing is we will never get to net zero by by just reducing our emissions. I've just highlighted all those areas where they're really, really challenging to, to fully decarbonize. The world of carbon offsetting and quality offsetting, right. I don't need to tell you, it's so controversial at the moment. Um, but so we need to figure out our strategy on where we're going to go with that. And I know that it's not wait until 2040 before we do something. So we've got to play our part, but we just have to find a way to do it meaningfully. Um, and then I think it just comes down to everyone reaffirming their commitment and um, their determination that we can do this. This is a climate emergency. And um, having that mindset to put sustainability at the top of the agenda alongside other things so that it's not the thought about tomorrow and we can kick the can down the road. We've got to deal with it now. And I think we can do that collectively. But I think, you know, we've just got to agree to do it and then take those actions. And we won't do it alone. It has to be in partnership with others. Yeah, the collaboration piece is so, so huge. So maybe just to one final question on sustainability to bring it back to a positive, positive note. Um, I think one thing, at least the way I think about it to a certain degree, is F1 in motorsport to a degree is sort of like an R&D lab for the automotive industry as a whole. The technology that's used in F1 and other series ends up being used in road cars and other forms of transportation and I think that can be true about sustainability, but that can also be true about diversity and inclusion. Like motorsport mm-hmm. and F1 really have the ability to be leaders in this space and have that trickle down into other industries. I would just love to hear both of your thoughts on kind of the opportunity you see there and the excitement maybe you feel around that bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it comes in programs such as 60 scholars where you you collaborate so a lot of organizations will do um programs in in silo or on their own but actually the power of coming together of these massive brands to you know offer something really unique and to go we're actually coming together as a community to, to kind of tackle these challenges i think for me is is incredibly exciting and you know it's it's um the first time we're doing the program but i think that there's lots more opportunity that we have in that space to to do good together um, and I think that's an interesting um, I guess concept that how could we take that into other industries how do we encourage more of that collaboration when you know these challenges are they're global they are cross-generation you know um, and I think business has a, has a real obligation that we increasingly see now to lean into these conversations and doing it in silo is great and it will absolutely have an impact but actually doing it together will do even more good so I think that's something that can really um 
I guess, shift the dial and, and push us going forward. And I think will be an interesting test case. We've obviously got a great platform as our brand to do that with our partners around us. But I think a good case study of perhaps what more could be done across um, cross industry. Yeah, and I think, you know, that, that the F1 mindset, the agility, as you said, mm-hmm. around um, being able to be this rapid prototyping um, R&D laboratory, it doesn't just apply to the automotive industry, but we've got examples through our partners where that's also helping with the factory of the future and um, mm-hmm. how manufacturing can really learn from some of the way our mindsets, our data, our analytics, how we can really look for the, you know, that, that fraction of 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 a tenth of a second of efficiency can really cumulatively have a really big impact in terms of efficiency in in manufacturing as well. So, um, and then that means less energy, it means less resource use and has has a great knock-on effect. So I think there is a a huge amount that we can, in collaboration, give back to industry and society. I think that's that's so cool. And I'm I'm excited to see how that all plays out. Like I know with regards to specifically the fuel, like we get really excited when those things those changes are made and we're able to see it um in our layperson world. So we love that. <laughs> um to wrap up, uh we always wrap our interviews with incredible women like yourselves with advice. So we have a beautiful, engaged community of very ambitious and smart women who listen to the podcast and they're always asking you know, what advice would you have for getting into the world of motorsports, getting into the world of STEM? I think Tiggy and I can only speak to that to a certain degree. So it's even better to hear it from people such as yourselves. So any closing words of advice? So I think in terms of advice, um, probably three things actually I'd say. So one is um, not to be overawed by anybody or any situation. I think um, there's the, the classic view that women have imposter syndrome but I think lots of people have imposter syndrome but don't be overawed going to those situations and therefore hold yourself back um, because you can have had that massive impact I think the second would be do things that are scary because if you're not scared you're not learning and I know most of us are uncomfortable at that point but you know we're in the game of you know constantly pushing performance whether that's on track or in the worlds that we work in so constantly do things that are scary um, and that are new And then the third bit I'd say is be authentically yourself. And it's the biggest bit of advice that I give from an interviewing perspective, because, you know, in our team, we want to know what it's like to work with you on a a good day and a bad day, right? In sport, it's highs and lows. So um, be yourself. And I think a lot of people feel they need to play a role when they're interviewing, um, and particularly when it's high pressure and someone's particularly passionate about it. But just be authentically yourself, because then they get to the crux of who you are and therefore what you can bring to the team. I think that's great advice, Kate. I'm not sure I have anything I I suppose Kate and I were just reflecting um, a moment ago. Neither of us um, had contacts in the industry. Um, We we applied on merit and we followed the things that Kate talked about for for our roles. So I think, um, you know, it's about look for those opportunities if you want to work in motorsport. They are out there and they're growing, certainly Mm. in our fields for sure. Um, So get yourself um, skilled up to have the right skills and expertise and then do what Kate said, but don't think that you need to, to know somebody in the industry. Yeah, I love that. That's such good advice. And it's honestly applicable to so many industries, not just motorsport. So I... I hope everyone listens to that and feels the confidence to be able to be themselves and to not be afraid of those opportunities. Because you often don't get things you don't ask for and pursue yourself. So it's really important. Well, thank you both so much. This has been so inspiring for us, and I can't wait for our listeners to hear all of the words of wisdom and insight into sustainability and diversity in motorsport and beyond, as we talked about. So thank you both so much. No, thank you for having us. Thank you. Lovely to meet you.